Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. It's your one-stop destination for everything involving the war on drugs and what the libertarians want to do about it. And how you guys doing? How's everybody's weekend going? Uh, pretty good around here. We actually got some snow on the ground, which is pretty rare for us here in Oklahoma. It seems like we'll get some snow maybe once or twice a year. And uh, I'll tell you what, it is 100% in line with Oklahoma to snow two weeks before Christmas. And then I guarantee you, come Christmas Day, it'll be like 70 degrees outside and I'll have the AC turned back on. It's just the way it goes around here, folks. Bipolar weather. But uh, I'm enjoying it. And uh, let's see, what have I been up to? Not a whole lot, really. Um, I did smoke a brisket over the last... 24 hours uh, actually was a 13 hour smoke and I will tell you if you're in the market for an electric smoker and you're, you're kind of newer to it when it comes to brisket do not skimp don't do what I did this weekend and go to Walmart and buy a whole packer and expect it to be good because this is the worst brisket I've ever ever made quite possibly the worst brisket I've ever tasted, in my opinion. Dry as a fart, as Letterkenny people would say. And uh, just, yeah, leathery. Not good. Not a, not a good cut of meat. I mean, it's a brisket. I, I don't know. I don't know how they determine that. I, I know that that might be blasphemy coming from someone who lives in the Midwest and claims to uh, know a thing or two about smoking barbecue meats but um yeah walmart's not the way to go guys go somewhere else get pay the premium prices get a premium brisket um but yeah besides that everything's cool here first world problems all good everybody's happy and healthy in this household so uh, that's good and i hope everything is going equally as well in your neck of the woods and uh just gonna dive right into it man Uh, today's episode is a really good one. Um, this gentleman is someone I met on Twitter as the majority of people I bring on the show are. And, uh, Greg is a member of the same fellowship that I am. He's just in a different part of the country. And, um, it's always really cool to hear from people in other parts of, of the country, other parts of the world, even that have experienced recovery you know, reading the same literature that I read to get to where I'm at today and having their own perception on it. You know, there's there's nuggets of wisdom that are, you know, kind of regional, I guess. You know, sponsors come up with something brilliant and pass it on to their sponsees and so on and so forth. And eventually it spreads its way outwards. And uh, that's kind of what happened today. You know, I had Greg come on. We talked about his story, you know, like where he came from, how he got in to uh, active addiction and what he did to get out of it. And so this is kind of going to be more of the nuanced uh, perspective. You know, this is going to kind of delve into life beyond the first, you know, I'll say six months to a year in recovery. You know, he we, we talk about some pretty heavy stuff, uh, kind of get into some of the more nuanced parts of, uh, yeah, long-term, long-term recovery. And, um, if you're new or nearly new to recovery or hell, even if you've been around for a while, I think that you're going to benefit a lot from this. This is a episode that, um, I, I hope to have a lot more of these coming up. So, uh, with that, I'm going to shut up and stop rambling and I'm going to introduce Greg. All right. What's up, Greg? Afternoon, sir. I'm glad you could join me. Um, Greg is a mutual follower on the Twitter sphere. um, And he's also someone who's in recovery. And uh, that's a very important thing because this is one of the main reasons I started up this project. One of the main reasons I started up this podcast is because there seems to be not a lack of bodies within the libertarian or liberty movement who are in recovery, but certainly a lack of voices 
of those who are in recovery. Uh, more often than not, we, we, we tend to hear from, you know, the legalized recreational cocaine crowd, the John McAfee's, if you will. And I, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to you sharing your story with us. But before we get into all of that, do you, do you want to give a little bit of background on yourself, whatever you feel comfortable saying? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I, um, I'm pretty humbled by, you know, being asked to, you know, to share, uh, and honored, you know, because if I could tell one person that, you know, taking part in the recovery process saved my life, um, I'd be honored to do that. And I feel like it's a duty and, um, I'm pretty happy, you know, in most cases, uh, to talk about, um, you know, libertarianism and, and how it's, uh, kind of started to shape my, um, you know, my life, uh, uh, since I started contributing to, uh, society. Yeah. And that's, um, and hell, let's just dive into it. So like, were you someone who like me kind of waited a little bit before you started using or were, was that kind of something that was around when you were a kid? Like when, when would you say you first started partying? Uh, about 15, 16 years old, just drinking and, and, um, um, smoking a little weed, you know? Yeah. And just progress from there. Um, it didn't really jump off until, uh, uh, I was about 19, 20 years old. My parents passed away in the same year. Um, both of them, uh, they were bored. Yeah, it was a big hit. And, um, you know, we, we medicate ourselves. I, you know, I did. And, uh, I wanted to cover up the pain that I was feeling. Cause you know, I had a lot of guilt for the child I was and the kid I was and the, you know, the person I had, you know, um, become, um, progression of addiction and, um, uh, didn't treat people the best. My parents, you know, namely, and, um, addiction popped off at that point. And, uh, it had been a, um, back and forth struggle, you know, between using and not using for, uh, until I got clean at, uh, 29 years old. Yeah. That's a hell of a thing to go through, man, at an early age like that. My God, I can't imagine what that must have been like for you. Yeah, it, uh, man, I was uh, I was everything from you know from a, uh, yeah my my mother and father mainly my mother um, they were both older whenever I was you know born and all that stuff and uh, I mean they, they my mother was everything to me and um, I. Whenever that happened, I was so numb for, for, you know, for, for quite a while. And, um, it, uh, thank God I have, I, you know, I have a few sisters, three sisters that are all older than me. They kind of stepped in and, and helped out and, um, and did the best they could. But by that time, the, you know, the, the beast was already unleashed. Like I, um, I had already started the process, you know, and found that, I didn't have to think and I didn't have to feel as much as if I was getting, um, you know, if I was under the influence of something. And in the beginning, alcohol um, and, you know, marijuana were uh, sufficient. Um, but then I got a little older um, and story progressed, man. It, it, you know, it started off with that those things and then it, um, you know, progressed into, you know, everything up the chain. Um, I'm a garbage can. Uh, and, um, anything that would, you know, stop me from feeling and thinking, um, you know, uh, would do the trick. Yeah, I can, I can relate with that big time. It wasn't ever like, and, and one of the slick things I dude, I've been to rehab like 20 times, bro. Like I am, I am that retread guy, you know? Um, and one of the things that I thought was so slick and, and I'll still say it, but it's true is when people ask, you know, what was your drug of choice? I always say more, you know, cause that's what it was. That's what it was. I mean, yeah, I got my greatest hits. We all do, but 
the reality of it is my, I fucking hate reality. I hate raw unfiltered reality. And I want that to be numb. I want that to, to be through a, a, a certain lens. Right. Mm. And, um, yeah, towards the end, man, I didn't give a shit what you put in front of me. I just wanted more of it. Yeah, no doubt. I agree with that. I, um, you know, in the end, opiates were the were the main thing. But in addition to everything else, like it, it, you're, you're right, I was a garbage can, but I had to do what I needed to do to keep from getting sick. But yeah, it didn't matter. I wanted more. And uh, sorry, there you go. Yeah, the um, sorry about that's my dogs. <laughs> my watch just got on. But but um, when it came to like being dope sick and whatnot, that's a special kind of hell, right? Like that's, that's a special kind of, uh, darkness that, uh, not a lot of people know about. Not a lot of people understand that there is a very physical withdrawal that happens. It's not just an emotionally bad spot to be in or spiritually bankrupt. Certainly those are things that, that, that bring a lot of us into the rooms, but when it comes to opiates specifically, that's, that's a new kind of thing. That's a new kind of darkness. Um, and I'll, we'll just kind of like put a pin in your, in your story for a second. Cause there is something I want to ask you. I'm sure you've heard it around the rooms when people say your worst day clean is better than your best day high. What do you think about that? Yeah, I've definitely heard that, uh, the cliche or slogan or whatever it's called. It's, um, it's uh, everything whenever I was using was temporary. And um, if I play the tape all the way through into, um, you know, uh, any time that because, you know, whenever I was using it in between loads or whatever, the you know, the if I'd be, you know, just trying to maintain and manage and find that magic mixture of, you know, whatever substances would kind of like finally fix me. Cause I feel, I felt like that was the thing that was going to happen is I was going to find something that would make me think the proper way, make me act the proper way and, um, and make me feel better, but I never did. And, uh, I can't, the way I, uh, get down with that is, is I can't entertain that kind of thought too long. Cause you know, I have to, um, uh, if I play the tape and I'm really honest, there was, there were very few days that were good using, you know, it was all temporary and anything good fit in a bag of dope. You know, it, it was, Ooh. it was, it, yeah. eventually it, it, it just fit in a bag of dope and that was it, man. Um, you may have to edit that out a little bit cause I, I ramble a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> oh, you're good, man. that's, that's the nature of this podcast. This is not, polished this is real shit you're talking about i like it i've never heard that before because I, I i'm from the camp that thinks I, and i have mixed feelings with it i understand the sentiment behind it and maybe i'm just mind fucking it like i do anything else in recovery but i think that it, it also sets kind of like this dangerous precedent for some people uh it kind of eh, more or less insinuates that it's all lollipops and orgasms on this side mm -hmm. of a white key tag, you know? Yeah. And so, but I really like that, man. The good times only fit in a bag of dope. I've never heard that. That's a good analogy. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate it. It's uh, just like everything else, dude. It's, uh, it's not, you know, original. It's uh, just by talking to other members and, you know, going to meetings and listening. Um, I've heard a lot of things that have kind of, help save my life. And that's one of them, you know, cause, uh, yeah, it's, it's for sure. Yeah. I mean, life isn't all butterflies and rainbows and hand jobs and all that other kind of stuff. It's, uh, life is pain. Um, you know, it's just the way it is. And it's, uh, that's the reality of it. But, you know, pain, like there's a slogan locally that I didn't like at first, but it kind of brings things into, you know, and, and, our first step is about the nature of reality, you know, and how I'm powerless over it. But the slogan is, is, you know, that, um, uh, you know, pain is mandatory, but the suffering is optional. And for me to recognize that 
is uh, is pretty powerful. And it's hard for me to do in the moment and whenever I'm in the middle of the shit. But um, yeah, man, yeah. that's that's tough. I mean, it, and and it's like I'm really good at feeling grateful and all of that when everything's going good. But when the chip when the when when the chips are down and it's not looking too solid for me on the throughout that you know windshield, I I, I have a hard time staying focused on. Okay, this is the facts. This is what I have, not what I don't have. And uh, yeah, dude. So yes. go ahead, man. No, I was just gonna say. Well, that's you know me left to my own devices. I have a hard time you know, even after being clean a few years of, you know, kind of separating, you know, bullshit from reality. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, yeah. So that's why, you know, we have our literature, we have, you know, our we or our uh, support group and, and a sponsor and, you know, people I can bounce things off of. It's the, the hardest part for me sometimes is verbalizing this stuff in the first place. Once I get it out, it's like either the other person's going to, you know, identify and, and, and maybe empathize or chuckle, you know, or I'll realize how ridiculous the shit is coming out of my mouth. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. Um, but as long as it stays between my ears, I'm good, you know, uh, or I'm bad, but it's, you know, getting that stuff out and, and talking about it. That's, I think one of the biggest things, you know, for me was, was, um, and I ramble now because I never really said very, very much in the old days, you know, it's, uh, it's like, um, getting a relationship with the English language or something like that. It's like, um, learning how to talk, learning how to, uh, identify what I'm thinking and feeling and all that stuff. And, um, you know, as long as I do that, I'm okay. I can stay right, you know? And, uh, yeah. it's, um, it's kind of how the process has worked is, you know, me just, uh, talking. And, um, that's where higher power can enter, you know? Yeah. I had similar problem. Mine, mine was kind of on the reverse side of it. I would talk too much. And like when you hang around the same groups for a while and, uh, you know, develop some substantial clean time, I don't know where it gets put in our heads or if it even gets put in everybody. I, it, it certainly got put in my head that whenever I share, I need to be talking some brilliant philosophical shit. And I was so afraid to tell people in a meeting where I was actually at, you know, and I can sound real hip slick and cool. I can make everybody in the room nod their head. And, and as long as I have your approval, I, I'm all good. But the reality is that's not recovery. That's not why that fucking meeting place is there. The newcomer needs to hear, Hey, this guy with time is going through some shit. And he's staying clean. The newcomer needs to hear about that type of stuff, man. And I, I really got into this place where I was, what did they, uh, um, just cosmetic recovery, right? And 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 the the inner work that I really needed to delve into just wasn't happening because that went from just taking place in a meeting to also taking place in a conversation I would have with somebody else in recovery or even my sponsor. So like, you know, I got step work and I'm so fucking afraid to tell people where I'm actually at because of what they'll think about me. I mean, I learned some lessons from that, you know, so it, I've learned now to say where I'm at, kind of like you have learned to say where you're at and kind of have that conversation to be open and, Fuck, dude, you've heard me. I've just been talking for the last five minutes rambling, so I'm right there with you, bud. Like, that's what we do. Yeah. And, I, and I get it when you say that, you know, some of the shit that comes out of your mouth is just, like, ridiculous. And I'll be, like, halfway through a conversation with my sponsor, and I'm just like, I, he doesn't even have to answer the question. Like, I already know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I'm like, I fucked up even calling this dude about this. You know, like, I this, wow, this is dumb. Yeah. Yeah, no but, doubt. I, I still get in the back of my head that even I get that relief and I and I realize, you know, that like addiction just lost a little bit of power over me, you know? Yeah. But then then right behind that thought is like, you shouldn't even feel this way because you don't you realize who you think you are? You know, you shouldn't feel this way with X amount of time clean with 
this going on in your life and this, that, and the other. And I think it's just a, um, a humility thing of me being aware of my assets and liabilities, dude. And it's a daily thing, a just for today thing. And, um, if I plug in on a daily basis and remember that, man, it's just so much, uh, I'm sorry about that. You're um, good. I got dogs barking. You got phones ringing. <laughs> We're all good. Yeah, it's uh, um, actually somebody from uh, home group. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm screwed up, man. You know, I'm just a little bit better today than I was whenever I got here. And um, I guess the you know the beauty of it is is I haven't had to use against my will in, in quite some time. And there was a a point in my life where I had no choice whether I used or not. And, you know, um, the, the recovery process has allowed me to, to do that and may not be for everyone. You know, it wasn't for me at a point in my life, but it is today, you know? So, uh, that's an uh, important thing too, man, that, 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 cause I, I really do think the greatest gift that we get given in recovery is that choice. Right. Cause like <clears throat> for both of us, we could go out tonight and the first time we decide to use, that is a decision that we made, but the second time won't be, right? It's going to continue on until it's like you buy that ticket, you take that ride. Yeah. And so that gift of a choice, man, that's that's a huge thing um, and a beautiful thing. Because, man, there's, there's a lot of times, man, I, I would be wishing for that willpower to not go out and get another fucking bag. Like just wishing I could hold on to my last 20 bucks because I hadn't eaten in days. I had nowhere to fucking sleep. You know, I don't know if you have casinos out in your neck of the woods, but like yeah. out here in Oklahoma, it's like the big thing. I mean, there's, you know, casinos everywhere. And I would be, that was my home, <laughs> you know, like they never kick you out. They're open 24 hours a day, free drinks, you know. And uh, I tell you, man, it's a lot better to have that choice to not use than to not have it. So that's a hell of a deal. Now, let me ask you this, just if we can go back in the timeline a little bit for you. What was, was there a certain point that you can recollect that you're like, that's really got you to look to recovery or was it a gradual leading up? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was definitely gradual. Um, I had, uh, well, let's see. We used to, I remember making jokes about um, going, to, you know, going to meetings and this, that, and the other, and, and all, you know, just like everybody else, rehab is for quitters, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, all that bonehead bullshit. And um, it, it might be funny for, you know, somebody, and it was for me for a long time, but uh, I don't know, man. I, um, I went to a treatment center and uh, after I had, um, lost a job and, uh, lost a relationship. And, um, um, there were a lot of, uh, consequences going on. And, and, and I knew that there was a little bit of a problem, but, um, I just, uh, I wasn't ready to give up unconditionally and admit that no matter what it is, I can't put it in my body. I wasn't there yet, you know? Right. Uh, um, so after that, uh, you know, treatment center and, 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 a, and a whole bunch others afterwards, um, I had abandoned a, a child uh, to pursue my dream of becoming a junkie um, against my will. Uh, I'd abandoned a, uh, a career and, uh, and, and, and my daughter's mother and um, couldn't stop getting high. And... Um, I had crossed every line that I said I wouldn't, you know, cross, you know, homelessness and, 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 and legal consequences and, and all kinds of other stuff. And um, I remember a guy, I had a lot of yets, you know, I haven't done that yet. I haven't done this yet. And I, and I compared myself to other people in the meetings and in, in the treatment centers and all that kind of stuff. And I'd be like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy and that guy and that girl. And I haven't done that yet. And you, know, you fast forward the tape. And um, I remember a guy telling me, yet is your eligible too. 
and I had crossed so many of those lines and um, I'm sitting there strung out, not knowing what to do, not wanting to get high anymore, um, but still wanting to get high because I couldn't take what was going on between my ears and I'm just caught up. And um, I had been introduced to recovery a couple other times, um, went to meetings, you know, and all that stuff. And I finally reached a point where, and I don't know what happened, man, that um, I was like this, I got to do something different. And, uh, you know, I went to a meeting the next day, sick, um, didn't go to a treatment center or anything like that. Um, still had a basic text, you know, uh, 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 recovery literature, I should say. You're good. You're good. <laughs> and, uh, Went to a meeting the next day and uh, haven't used since. That was March 12, 2009. And um, it took, you know, uh, I, what happened? I finally started doing what people suggested that I do in the first place. Abandon all the old people, places and things. Um, go to a meeting every day and get and use phone numbers and um, reach out and uh I feel like that was the point, you know, my first surrender is whenever I started to believe that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I guess that's a generalized thing, you know, but, um, that's, that's where I was at, you know, um, it was progressive, lost a lot of jobs, got jobs back. Um, you know, one thing that that experience showed me was that I am capable of some good things. Uh, I just, it was all like really short term stuff. The thing is now is like, and what's new for me is, is maintaining things long-term, you know, cause, uh, one thing I found is I'm really quick and really good at putting things back together. Um, but maintaining that's, that's the difficult part for me, you know, cause I self-sabotage and all that other stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's it, man. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, you know, a one and done for me. I have multiple clean dates. But it was a process of you know, coming to you know accept that I'm I'm, I'm an addict and that uh, yeah, I got something inside me that's, that wants me dead. And you kept coming back. That's the thing. You kept coming back. Um, one of the cool things about this podcast and and something I didn't foresee happening because like I'm like you, man. You and me, we found our solution in twelve step recovery. Like that's that's where we went there's a lot of people out there who have found recovery through other means. And I didn't know that, but I, I can tell you that there's some common denominators among all of us, everybody who's found freedom from active addiction, whether they went to a 12 step fellowship or not. And that is they got some personal responsibility and they started helping other people. Right. Mm -hmm. Those seem to be the two main things from as far as I can tell that that really determine whether or not somebody is successful and escaping you know now i i i can't speak for you because i i you know i won't self-deprecate you the way i do me but I, i'm a i'm a blockhead man like i i am a hard-headed to a fault so for me i needed the structure of a 12-step fellowship to teach me basic shit like hey dude you need to wash your clothes. Hey, you have to pay your bills on time. <laughs> like I actually had to be taught how to be a adult. I had no clue, man. Like when I came around, like I spent so much time just partying. Like I, I mm -hmm. was not concerned about a 401k or any of that shit, you know, much less spiritual principles. Like what the fuck are you talking about? Like that didn't make any sense to me. I had to be spoon fed a lot of those concepts and the place where that happens more often than not 12 step, you know, fellowship all. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm grateful to run across you and hear, and hear this awesome story, man. Cause I'm, I'm hearing a lot of really good stuff. Um, now for, for where you're at today, what would you say is different about your recovery today than let's say it was, I don't know, five years ago. Man, I've gotten a lot of freedom from um, comparing myself to everybody else. And uh, I still do it from time to time, but I will judge my insides and the way I feel 
by what I see on somebody else's outsides. And I'm pretty defective. So I get, I'm quick to envy and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And also turns out I'm kind of lazy too. So I have to, I have to, uh, I have to force myself to, you know, to do some things and, um, you know, it's, uh, kind of getting down with, um, you know, I'm responsible for my behavior, my recovery, my life, you know, and, um, you know, playing a part in those things and looking at others less and me more and, uh, you know, being okay with, you know, I'm a human being, man. I have good qualities. I have bad qualities. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get through this and, um, get to the finish line, you know, uh, without addiction uh, beating me to it, you know? Yeah. That's the trick, isn't it? Right there. Um, now we, and going to kind of rehash some of the conversation we had before I hit that record button. Um, what does it look like in your neck of the woods as far as in-person recovery? Like, is that, is that a thing that's existent? Is it non-existent? Yeah. It's slimmed down quite a bit because of the, um, you know, the, uh, the you know, pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of churches are really skittish. Um, a lot of meeting places where our, our, our groups meet, um, some are shut down totally. And, uh, it's caused a lot of us to scramble and, um, you know, have like rabbit meetings where they just pop up all of a sudden and, um, at people's houses, people's garages, um, parking lots when the weather's good, you know, uh, yeah. public parks. There've been a few places that have, you know, been able to maintain because the, um, the facilities haven't closed for what, whatever reason. Um, and, you know, groups are still being able to, uh, meet in person, you know, sometimes with restrictions, sometimes with not. Yeah. How, how has that affected you personally? Do you think? I- it breaks the, you know, personally, it's, um, creatures of habit, you know, and, um, yeah. I, I depend and I take for granted that, um, you know, that the meeting on X on, on whatever day is always going to be there, that it's, you know, it's a given that I can always depend on that. And the rug has been pulled out from under us, you know, um, that a lot of those old dependable things, you know, um, aren't there in the face-to-face form. Now there are other options, right. But, uh, it's, uh, we've had to quickly adapt and, you know, my home groups had to relocate and, um, change meeting places. Uh, and you know, our church would, the, the facility where we were uh, meeting would be open and then closed and open and then closed over, you know, since last March. And if somebody's getting out of treatment, the last thing you want to have them do is go to a meeting place that doesn't exist. Right. Or if they're showing up for their first meeting. So we wanted to, um, so we had to relocate and find, you know, a, a little bit more of a consistent spot. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been an adjustment, man, but this is life on life's terms. You know, it's not to my liking or understanding at all times, but this is life. This is the hand I'm dealt we're dealt. And, um, yes, honey. Um, do you have, um, something to yeah. cut this with? Uh, to, to cut it with? Yeah. I'll cut it in just a second. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, uh, that's the example of life on life's terms, honey. You know, <laughs> that's a beautiful thing right there, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. I, yeah. I mean, you know, at one point I turned my back on, on blessings like that. It's, um, you know, yeah. um, cause I lost the power to choose, but it's, uh, so that's why we keep the doors open because, um, and we maintain some consistency and, and, and all that stuff because, um, because of the recovery process, I'm capable of answering questions like that. You know, that my, my children come to me and, and, and I'm a father today and all that stuff. So, you know, uh, it may not be for everybody, but it is for me, like you alluded to, you know what I mean? There's a lot of ways to recover, but, um, this man, the reason I'm breathing today is because of, uh, is because of the 12 step recovery process. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I, um, we need consistency and, you know, and it's, it's upended my life, you know, but uh, it's the way it goes, man. As anything worth experiencing would, right? So like, yeah. it's kind of, I think that's kind of a uh, prerequisite, man, for, for good change is likely not going to be comfortable change. You know, um, I know that like some of my biggest growth spurts in recovery have come either during or right on the tail end of something pretty, pretty major, you know? And so that's just, and you know, hell, even, even the mundane, you know, just the blah, you know, when the, when the, and everybody goes through it, man, you, you come in, you get clean and it's just like colors are brighter again. You start hearing birds chirp, you know, you like food tastes. Well, fuck, you're eating. You hadn't been eating before, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of things that like this vibrant world just erupts around you. And then along a long enough period of time, and it happens to all of us, you hit those spots where it kind of goes like black and gray. You know what I mean? It's just kind of a little, little toned down, you know, and, and making it through those spots. I think that's, that's just as important as making it through a major life, you know, experience. Um, I went to, you know, I live in Oklahoma. I went to Indiana for, uh, Thanksgiving and I got to visit a, a group out there and I heard that, or I, you know, it's, it's thankfully they had a in-person meeting and I, you know, asked them like, how did you guys fare during this whole pandemic thing? And they said they lost 20 to 30 group members, core members, you know, to relapse because, you know, during all this now, whether or not that was going to occur anyway, no way of knowing, but I can't help but think that this really fucked with people in a real real way. And, you know, for, for those of us who are in this deal and doing this, this stuff, it's, it's imperative that at this time of year, especially we reach out to those folks that are in our group and just maintain contact in any way we can, you know, now, um, we, we were talking kind of like politics a little bit beforehand. And so this is, this is the other part of the podcast you came from kind of a uh, similar background that I did, being that you were somewhat of a uh, progressive mm-hmm. to a degree mentality. What was it that brought you over to the dark side, sir? Um, I have to evoke the uh, eternal spirit of Ron Swanson <laughs> and his pyramid of greatness. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, property taxes. Um, Ron Paul and the, you know, freedom report, uh, a couple, uh, groups on social media that create memes, um, uh, and, you know, and believe that, you know, awareness of Liberty can be, you know, shared through, you know, comedy and, um, uh, Spike Cohen, uh, Vermin Supreme, uh, all the heavy hitters, I guess, you know, yeah. um, a lot of parallels as we discussed between, you know, our program of recovery and, um, you know, the, uh, the Liberty movement, as far as being fully self-supporting responsible for our behavior, um, you know, uh, you know, charity, um, you know, uh, those sorts of things. It's, um, as I was acclimated back into society, you know, from being a taker and the way our, system is designed as it's, you know, it, it really enables a, a taker, uh, with the, you know, uh, you know, uh, public welfare and, and the amount of stuff that you can get for quote unquote free. Um, I was one of those guys for a long time and, uh, I took full advantage of the system, but now I've gotten to be on the other side of that. And I see, you know, not only how, you know, damaging and, and dangerous big government can be, but also the, um, you know, the dangers of a welfare state and the, you know, the generational bullshit that comes along with it. And, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, it's, uh, you know, um, been a lot of parallels between, you know, you know, recovery and, um, you know, the Liberty movement. It's like a, you know, uh, this for that type thing. Yeah. I like, man, my, my soiree into 
libertarianism was tumultuous. Here's the thing. I was always libertarian. I just didn't know what to call it. Now, granted, I had some more progressive viewpoints and the egalitarian stance on a lot of things, you know, thinking that, oh, taxes can be used for good and this and that. And that's kind of faded away a little bit for me as time has kind of gone along. But whenever I was really introduced to the full depth and gravity of how our taxes are misappropriated and used for the most God awful things. I became convinced that that's the way it's always going to be. So I kind of really got hardcore into libertarianism once I, I learned about it. And um, I more or less became radicalized <laughs> to a point <laughs> that I was wanting to merge recovery and liberty. I knew this has always been kind of something that's on my mind because I know about recovery. Like this is something I have been on this path for 11 years now with various, you know, stints of success, but I, I kind of got it in my head and the world ain't ready for this and I ain't ready for this, but I kind of got it in my head that I could make a 12 step program to libertarianism. adopt the 12 steps and utilize that towards making somebody a libertarian and i was like man that's that's a little bit too much i I don't need to be doing that shit but i do think that there are certain things that we learn when when working the steps with the sponsor and and among those is first off you can't blame anybody else for your own situation anymore your mistakes are your mistakes. So you're learning personal responsibility all the way through it, man. That's the, that's the one thing. And the other thing is service to others. Like those, are, those are the two main tenets, man. And so for me, where I'm sitting and I'm sure I'm looking at it through a certain lens and perspective, but it's a logical conclusion for somebody to wind up being more or less libertarian, you know, once they come into recovery. Um, but, Ironically enough, I do see a lot of my peers. I lose them whenever I say we need to end the drug war. Mm. Or, you know, that that kind of seems to be a very tumultuous thing to bring up with, with people, you know, and I don't understand why. You know, it's like you got all of us here and we've all been churned for the system. The system never I've never heard a story that said, and I went to prison, it changed my life for the better, right? It was always, I mean, I went to prison, I got out, got worse, or, you know, more often than not. Do you see that kind of mentality up there around your groups too? Like, if you bring up ending the drug war, like, what's the response that you get? Yeah, it's mom's word, man. It's, uh, it's, I don't get met with a good response. Um, it's uh, it's more along the lines of you know increasing the police state, and it's kind of odd for uh, from where I'm sitting to view it like that because um, the fear of consequences for using um, uh, an illegal cons- uh, chemical never prevented me from using it. Right. You know? the, the 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 legality of something never prevented me from it, and even before I was a libertarian. Um, and had a, you know, the idea of, of, of smaller government and, and, and that sort of stuff is like, uh, I had it in the back of my head that you're not going to prevent people from doing what they want to do. Right. You know, with a, with a law. Um, so, I mean, we have to face facts and, and, and see, is it, was it worth to spend this amount of money on policies that clearly aren't working, you know, just banging our heads against the wall that, you know, uh, we keep repeating the same mistakes and expecting a different result. And um, the only thing that's changing is the face or the mouth that's you know spewing this bullshit. You know, right? Yeah, and it's consequently making a more hazardous environment for addicts who have yet to find the rooms or find their own method of recovery because they're getting spiked dope. You know, they're having to go to these awful you know, dope houses, shooting galleries, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, there's a certain risk that gets involved with that. Hell, I don't know how it is up there, but man, 
here in Oklahoma County, like people die in our county jail, like just straight up die, get lost in the system, go to prison, get fucked up. I mean, it, it happens. So I, I just, I can't see how people who have lived it, seen it, been through that system can think that it's somehow going to break good because you got clean. Like, you know, to, to kind of, from a historical sense, bring up a couple of our figures, you know, Bill W. And th- he used to roll around with a bottle of booze in the back of his car for alcoholics who had the shakes whenever he picked them up to go to the alcoholic ward. Like he, you know, that's, that's kind of that approach that they had. It was a realistic understanding of immediate sense. Like this is what we have to do to get people in the door. You know, I, I think that even more so for drugs, we should have that type of conversation. And I'm not saying rolling around with a little bit of dope in your pocket, but I, but I am absolutely saying that it would be a good conversation to have in the recovery community that taking a different approach to drugs as a whole and addiction as a society would have a net positive effect. Cause the, here's the thing, man, the system's already sending people to us. Anyway, you get a nudge from a judge. If you get a drug charge, I mean, that's just what incurs. So the state is already openly saying we don't have a solution. We are sending people to nonprofits, you know, because we don't know what to do with them besides lock them up and fine them. So, Eliminate that middleman, make it a more approachable environment. Cause I don't know about you, man, but I'm rebellious to a fault. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear you tell me, you ain't going to tell me what I have to do. But if I voluntarily chose to come into recovery, I, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to listen. Right. right. So yeah, that dude, I could go on and on, on all night about this. I guarantee you I could, you know, but, um, so that's interesting. That's so it's not just a regional thing for me out here. It's it's actually in your neck of the woods too. Yeah, it's not an increasing or a uh, you know uh, an easy conversation to have, and, and it's not well received. You know, but it, it it in my mind it makes sense because I mean you know state statewide in Pennsylvania um, we've been having um, uh, medicinal uh, marijuana shops pop up all over the place and which just is absolutely fucking ridiculous in, to me that you're going to make it okay as long as you call it a medicine and um uh it's not it's not going to be legal as a as a whole um because um, the government and doctors and everybody has to get a cut uh to make people jump through hoops and and all that kind of stuff and i don't really have a uh, a dog in that fight, but it just seems so asinine to me that um, it's, it's almost like a joke, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and um, it's not going to prevent people even for something as simple as that to prevent people from doing it. It's um, it might increase the, you know, the safety and take a lot of the, the, you know, uh, shady people sometimes that you, you have to associate with, but you're still jumping through hoops that, I mean, it's, it's, it's in my mind, it's pointless. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent, man. It's, it's extra steps that you shouldn't have to take, Yeah, you know, and you know, and I'm look, uh, this is an important thing. And I don't know. I, I know the overall recovery community isn't quite ready to have this conversation yet, especially in the fellowship that you and I attend, but, for instance, there is a guy out here. He's been clean for 30 years, right? He just got diagnosed with a terminal illness. Okay. He has six months to live tops. They said, I mean, it's, it's progressing for him really badly. I mean, this dude's awesome. He's always had really solid shit to share in a meeting. And instead of taking opiates, he has chosen to go the route of getting his medical card and, and taking edibles. And, you know, I, he has had a very difficult time coming to grips with that, both with what others perceive, but also what he himself perceives about his own recovery. Like somehow taking that edible is somehow worse than taking that prescribed Oxycontin in that situation. And I just, 
I don't know how to fix that conversation or how to fix that scenario for, for people. Right. Like, cause where do you draw the line and recover? Like, how do you truly express the nuanced difference in between those two, you know, because weed's been illegal for since forever. So a lot of these old timers, they don't, they don't know how to take it, mm-hmm. you know? And it, did you guys just recently get medical up there? Yeah, within the last year or so. Um, the closest parallel I have to that is there are some pretty militant uh, recovery communities around the area here. Yeah. And they, you know, um, they can view certain prescribed. I've never met a, an addict that, or somebody went to, to a treatment center that wasn't prescribed something, right? Because that's right. what the, you know, everybody, you know, um, some people may have a medical condition. It's not for me to say that, right? It's not, I'm, I'm not uh, a doctor. So I, uh, I don't really approach that subject. It's, you know, in my opinion, um, what somebody's taking is, is an outside issue of mine. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with me unless it affects myself or my, you know, my recovery. It's none of my goddamn business. Um, that's the way I look at it. But around here, they have we have some of these militant groups that take the ad- abstinence side of things to a different level. And they, you know, people that go to treatment are often uh, prescribed medication that may they may or may not need. Right. Um, and they view those people as not being clean and still getting loaded because they're taking whatever it could be, you know. So that's that's the closest parallel I have to that. And that's I've talked to a lot of people you know, around the country and, and that that happens from in place to place. But um, the way I make peace with that type of stuff is, um, you know, rely on our traditions. That's for, it, for it's not affecting my home, my life, my family. I have no I try not to have any opinion on it, like as far as, the, you know, the recovery stuff goes. Uh, right. I do have an opinion on it, but. It's, you know, it's mine. I, I don't need to, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, that's a tough conversation because, you know, um, alienating somebody from the recovery process can be a death sentence. So yeah, it's an outside issue as far as yeah. I'm concerned, um, to be shared, you know, not maybe not on a group level, but with a, a sponsor and a, you know, support group, you know? And that's one of the things I kind of, you know, when a newcomer comes around or, you know, let's say I'm doing H&I somewhere and meet somebody and they're like, I want to go to a meeting outside of this, but I'm taking Suboxone or, you know, another methadone even. I tell them that that is between you, your higher power and your sponsor. Those are the, those are the other two entities that you need to be having honest and open dialogue about this stuff with. You don't need to be saying that shit in meetings because the community split on it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, we, we are still so brand new into this concept of mental health as well as behavioral health, as well as spiritual health. Like this is, this is kind of a new frontier. I mean, what, what was it? 1950s is when, you know, the 12 step communities really started to take off, you know? So we're 50 years into this. And the broad scheme of things of, of human existence, that is infantile. Like well, this is this is a toddler type concept for us still. We 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 have yet to mature, but I do see a little bit of a change coming. Maybe not so much with the suboxone and, and, and all that, but with behavioral meds, right? Like with people taking antidepressants and things like that. I, I see a lot more relaxation as far as going after people and that. Now you're gonna have your militant groups just like you know you have out in your neck of the woods but overall i i think that the 12-step community is doing a better job at addressing that and leaving it up to the fucking doctors <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so instead, of, instead of the guy at the meeting like you're leaving it up to the to the trained medical professionals yeah um, so i also always rely on our literature and, you know, and, and, uh, one piece of our literature in the second step, it says that, you know, uh, the pain of living without drugs forces us to seek a power greater than ourselves. 
I didn't know how to operate without drugs, man. You know, I didn't know if I was happy or sad or what my normal feeling should be, you know? So, um, I had to get honest with myself. I was so used to putting something in me to change the way I felt, you know, even if I wasn't getting a reaction out of it, I was still just so used to putting something in me. Um, I had to get down with that. And that, you know, that, like you said, talk to a sponsor, talk to, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody else, but our, I believe in our literature, uh, wholeheartedly, you know, it, uh, it's just a lot of people have a lot of opinions and, and opinions can kill people. Yeah, they uh, can. I want that on my mind, on my uh, conscious, not today. No. And ultimately, man, at the end of the day, what somebody else is doing, that's none of my spiritual business. You know, if that person's picking up a, you know, nine month chip or nine month key tag or whatever. And, you know, maybe I know that what they've been doing on the side, that's their business. It's not mine, man. And it's certainly not my business to go talking about it to other people. So anyway, we're getting off on a different rant. I'm sorry, but we, we, that is a, that I, I feel like there's probably going to be somebody eventually that listens to this that didn't know about that beforehand. And it's going to help somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm confident in that. And, uh, yeah, Greg, this has been an awesome conversation, man. Um, dude, you got some really solid recovery. And I just want to thank you for agreeing to come on and talk about some of that stuff. Cause hell, I, there's some of that shit I haven't heard yet. You know, that's, I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's been good. It's yeah. Like started off with it's if I could tell you know, uh, one person that the recovery process works, you know, give it a shot. And as you stated, there are other paths to recoveries like, and the common denominator, like you said, is, you know, um, helping others, you know, charity and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, finding something positive to fill the negative, you know, yeah. I had to do something and, and have some positive, you know, action to move forward. Um, something to replace that. And, um, 12 step process. And in, in addition to a bunch of other things has worked for me, but, uh, as my sponsor says, you know, we don't, you know, our fellowship doesn't hold a monopoly on kindness, recovery, or forgiveness, you know? So, um, I had to find something, you know, and, uh, it was a process of finding it. So, um, yeah, if somebody listens to this and uh, they're in a bad spot, it's um, there is a way out, you know, and uh, you're not alone. And um, it, it does get better. Yeah, never alone, man. Now, before we before we uh, wrap this up, Greg, if you could talk directly to the 2008 version of yourself before you got clean, what would you tell that person? Hmm. Man, first thought is, is do I want to ruin it <laughs> and give him some secret information? Um, let's see. Trust the process, man. We'll go with a cliche, right? That's, that's how we get by on some days. Trust the process. Um, it'll get better. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I'm kind of at a loss, and uh, you've li been listening to me talk. I don't. I kind of ramble on, but um, yeah, trust the think, process, man. I think trust the process is pretty fucking solid. If I could do say so myself, um, I know for me, one of the first real interactions that I had in a recovery environment was from this dude. He was a permafried tweaker. I mean, dude, still swivel jawed, had years clean, but he looked at me with this shit eating grin on his face. And like my whole world had fallen apart. Like I, dude, you know how we are. We come crawling through the threshold of that door. And, and he said, son, you're going to be all right. And I don't know why I had no reason whatsoever to believe this dude, you know, but I believed him. And so that goes along the same veins of trust the process. You know, you're going to be okay. That's a fucking awesome deal, man. Well, um, Greg, thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you coming on, man. And I know that 
the way this universe works, man, there's going to be somebody who stumbles across this and here's your story and they're going to get the, uh, they're going to get something out of it. I know I did. So yeah. It's an honor and a privilege, bud. I, uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks again. It's good stuff. Right on, man. Well, you, uh, you take care of yourself and we will be talking to you later, bud. All right. Take care, man. All right. There you go. Big thank you to Greg for coming on and sharing that stuff with us. There is some nuggets of wisdom that even with me having sat around the rooms and, and listened to all sorts of speaker tapes uh, over the last decade plus, there's there's some stuff that Greg shared that I'd never heard before. And so, and, and just like I was telling him, I, I don't know who needs to hear it or, or when they'll hear it, but I know that somebody's going to hear this. Somebody's going to hear this talk and they're going to get something out of it. And uh, that's a beautiful thing, man. That's how this whole idea and concept of recovery works. It works because one addict or alcoholic figures out what works and they share that with another person struggling. Uh, to quote some of the literature that, that Greg and I read, it says that the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel. And uh, that's just 100% the truth, man. That's there. There is nothing quite like listening to somebody who has been there and done that tell you how they got out of it. That's a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm appreciative, very appreciative for Greg to uh, come on and, and share his story and, and, and uh, yeah, just spend some time with me. And so I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. And I, I don't know when you're actually listening to this. Uh, currently, it's December 13th of 2020. Uh, we got the holidays rolling up here within the next couple of weeks. And this is a very difficult time of year for a lot of people, uh, both, you know, who are struggling to get clean and, and people who've even been clean for a while. It just tends to be a tough time of year. So I just want to let you know, if you find me on Twitter, I keep my DMs open, even if we aren't following each other. You can still reach out to me. And if you're looking for somewhere to get clean or, or just want some more information or about like where you can find meetings or hell, even if you just need somebody to talk to, man, I'm not here to preach or badger or bash. Like I just, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to not have anywhere else to turn. And I just want you to know that there is a way out that you don't have to continue doing the same shit over and over again. Like there is people who have been exactly where you are and they found a way out. And I would enjoy nothing more than to be able to spend some time to uh, discuss that with you, you know? So DMS are always up and on Twitter, hit me up. Uh, I believe Anchor has a feature also like on that platform to where you can, you know, go to the podcast page and reach out to me. So that's an option as well. And uh, yeah, there you go. That's it, man. Great episode. I'm feeling good, feeling rejuvenated. Uh, so much so that maybe I'll get over having, you know, turned 50 bucks into a piece of leather in my kitchen. Yeah, that brisket in there. But the dogs will love it. So there's there's the silver lining. Dogs will love it. I'm sure I can salvage some uh, chopped brisket sandwiches. But you guys out there, you be good. Be good to yourselves. Be good to others. Um, thanks a lot for tuning in. Um, we've been getting a couple of other, or I've been noticing the audience count kind of growing a little bit. It's slow, steady progress. Like, that's that's cool, man. If, if you know anybody out there who, who you think might enjoy this podcast, share it with them, man. Let's, let's broaden this audience. And if you are in recovery and you would like to come on and, and talk, or if you have something along the lines of, you know, kind of the theme of this podcast, like reach out to me, I'd love to bring you on. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's, that's all I got, man. That's all I got for today. Oh, we do have the song of the day. And today is one of the first punk bands that I really, really, really started to get into and dig. And it's Common Rider. And Common Rider actually has, I believe it's just the lead singer from Operation Ivy. 
but um, it's kind of a, I wouldn't say reggae or ska. It's just, it's got that kind of upbeat feel to it. But uh, yeah, this is Common Rider and a song called Classics of Love. And uh, it's a super happy-go-lucky song. Very chill, very easy to listen to. So uh, if you want something cool to kind of hang out and listen to, I think you might enjoy this. So I'll leave you with Common Rider's Classics of Love. One was sitting and thinking of all the beautiful things he could have become. Instead of a lyrical, lyrical, animal, most appreciative one. Because I'm in a world of my own and I'm into it. I don't want anything else. And nothing can bother me when I'm inside of it because I'm inside of myself. Midnight Marauder spinning on my stereo. Mr. Desmond Deck, I got a crown made of gold. The kids are all right. Oh, what, oh, what I hear. London calling, but I have no fear. Miss Ella Fitzgerald got no peer. A music, sweet music, make the truth so clear. Up, make a dark daylight If you don't believe the words Then just look into their eyes Sun shining, sun shining, sun shining Shining down on a cloudy day I know the sun's gonna last forever That's what I say And two, I'm running around in my mind And my mind's a fucking zoo One of the ones under the gun Wondering what do I do? Ever feel the same way? Say to the brave way Brave if you're fake way Through the, the true you Take me home if you take me to a party. Don't forget the microphone. If we take my car, then please don't try to touch the radio. Cause I'm in that sun, it's burning, bringing peace into my soul. Feel alright, come on! Sunshine, sunshine, sunshine! Sun, 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 sun. sun.